break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 19th of April, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. Plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about corporate tax avoidance at the state level. Pretty bad there, just like at the federal level. But before we get to that, we want to talk about the relationship between poverty and crime in the United States. The Prison Policy Initiative has recently released a new report titled Beyond the Count, one of the most detailed looks at the demographics of those held in state prisons who make up the majority of people caught up in the huge mass incarceration apparatus of the United States, just over 1 million people in total. One of the factors the report highlights that I also pointed to in my 2013 book, Shackled and Chained, Mass Incarceration in Capitalist America, is how there's a clear relationship between those who are incarcerated and those most afflicted by the various ills of capitalist society, and that, in many ways, prisons are used to warehouse the social fallout from market-based policies. The report notes that 42% of those in state prisons were from families that received public assistance before they were 18. So in other words, 42% of those in state prisons were from families that were in poverty. The official poverty rate, by the way, is 11.4%. And while that number is undoubtedly low, it does give you a sense of how overrepresented impoverished people are in the prison population. The report also notes that 39% of those incarcerated in state prisons did not have a job in the month before they were arrested. The report further notes that black people had the highest jobless rates of any race or ethnicity at 46%, and women were slightly more likely not to have a job, 53%, than to have one, 47%, in the month before arrest. Of those who weren't working, about 4 in 10 were looking for a job. When you break those numbers down based on how the quote-unquote official unemployment rate is calculated, the official unemployment rate for those in state prison before they were arrested was 15%. Unemployment has only ever been 15% nationally during the Depression and the first few months of the pandemic. Official unemployment at the time the data was taken was 4.6%. So again, you can see how overrepresented unemployed people are and those who end up incarcerated. The research from the Prison Policy Initiative also details that, quote, among those who did work before their arrest, one in five, 20%, were actually working two or more jobs compared to just one in 20, 5%, of the U.S. population who held more than one job. That's at the time that the data was collected. The report goes on to further note that, quote, whether they worked or not, one in five, 20% of people in state prisons relied on income from other non-job sources like public assistance, social security, a retirement fund, unemployment benefits, or disability benefits in the 30 days before their arrest and incarceration. The report also details that more than one-fifth, 22%, of those in state prisons were experiencing housing instability or homelessness in the month prior to their arrest. 
So clearly, if you are incarcerated, you are more likely than the average person to be from a family living in poverty, to be homeless, to be unemployed, or more likely to be working two jobs to make ends meet. The report also details that, quote, half 49% of people in state prisons met the criteria for a substance use disorder, including about 59% of women and 48% of men. Only 8% of the broader population meets that criteria. So again, you can see how those suffering from substance abuse disorders are overrepresented in the state prison population. Also worth noting here that 68% of those in state prisons did not complete high school, as opposed to 12% of people in the population at large. So again, you can see a significant overrepresentation. The report also touches on some other crucial issues, particularly as it concerns reducing the number of people in prison. Noting, for instance, that there are more people 55 and older in state prisons than those who are between the ages of 18 and 24. This isn't terribly surprising in that it reflects the declining crime rates and the fact that most people commit quote-unquote crimes at younger ages. For instance, the arrest rate amongst older adults is 2% for those who are 50 to 65, and it gets close to 0% over the age of 65. And as it concerns people being rearrested, by the way, after getting out, only 7% of those age 50 to 64 and 4% of those over 65 are returned to prison for new convictions. So we have close to 160,000 people 55 and older in state prisons being held on extremely long sentences, despite there being little to no chance they would ever be arrested ever again if released. Another clear example of how incarceration policies are not meaningfully linked to what we actually know about public safety. So ultimately, just to summarize, it's clear that prisons are in many ways just sweeping problems under the rug, so to speak, rather than addressing them. The consequences of mass unemployment, drug abuse, poverty wages, and shortages of affordable housing are clearly playing catalytic roles in our massive prison population. But rather than address these issues around poverty and living standards, the U.S. just criminalizes them. <laughs> A lot of conversation about how wealthy people and corporations don't pay taxes is concentrated at the federal level. But as you might imagine, this is also happening at the state level as well. In fact, at the state level, the decrease in corporate tax revenues has been quite astonishing over the past several decades. As a new study from the Economic Policy Institute details, quote, depending on how it's measured, the effective state and local tax rate on corporate profits shrunk by a third and a half between 1989 and 2017. Going on to further note that, quote, the resulting revenue shortfall is estimated to be at least $43 billion and possibly as high as $57 billion. Amazingly, when examining detailed data on seven states, EPI found that, quote, more than 60% of corporations operating in these states pay no state corporate income tax. And depending on the state, between 11% and 27% of corporations with over $1 billion in federal taxable income pay nothing or next to nothing in state corporate income taxes, end quote. It's also worth noting that the report found that there is no correlation between wage increases and decreased income taxes. So cutting taxes to juice businesses and rising tide lifts all boat trickle down economics, not true. Really notably, in Florida, 92% of all corporations between 2016 and 2019 paid no state income tax. In Tennessee, 27% of all corporations with $1 billion in taxable income paid no taxes in that same time period. Connecticut, Michigan, Colorado, Illinois, and Wisconsin all had over 60% of corporations paying no state income taxes during similar periods of time. Overall, the report notes that corporate tax revenue has decreased more than any other major category of taxes for states. 
The report makes sure to note that the reduction in state corporate tax revenue is not because corporations are doing worse. They lay out that, quote, in the years since the Great Recession, pre-tax profit margins average 15 percent, while the share of corporate income tax revenues in total state and local taxes was just 3.6 percent. They note that in the previous period, which is between 1979 and 2007, pre-tax profit margins averaged less than 12 percent. But the share of corporate tax revenues in total state and local taxes averaged 4.7 percent. But the share of corporate tax revenues in total state and local taxes averaged 4.7 percent. So in other words, since 2007, corporations are 3 percent more profitable than they were in the last 40 years or so. But their share of contribution to the overall amount of state and local taxes has decreased 1 percent. So 3 percent more profits, 1 percent fewer taxes overall. There are, of course, many reasons why this is able to happen, but one particular issue the report highlights is the rise of S-corporations. Now, when you think of a corporation, you're usually thinking about what's known as a C-corporation. S-corporations were designed initially for mom-and-pop type operations to avoid something that's known as double taxation. Since the owners of those types of establishments typically do most of the work, to be taxed on both the business income and then have to pay income taxes on what's left is essentially like paying two income taxes. So S-corporations were made to avoid that, and they're exempt from federal income tax and most state income taxes, and instead the profits and losses are quote-unquote passed through to the owners, who then pay personal taxes on the income. However, S-corporations have changed quite a bit as of late. They can now be businesses with up to 100 shareholders. So now many corporations have restructured to be S-corporations, and many wealthy people deliberately structure elements of their income to flow through S-corporations to save on taxes. The result has been a major rise in S-corporations and also the number of wealthy people getting quote-unquote passed through income. As the Economic Policy Institute notes, quote, in 1979, S-corporations accounted for 5% or less of total corporate profits. But by 2019, this share had had risen to roughly 35%. They go on to further note that, quote, over 69% of the top 1% of households by income and 84% of the top 0.1% earn some pass-through business income. Seems pretty unlikely that the top 1% is getting that income from owning a corner store. All told, it's clear that at the state level, just like at the federal level, the wealthiest people in corporations are deploying a wide array of tricks and loopholes to avoid paying what they legally owe in taxes. And this has a huge impact at the state level, since the vast majority of public services are provided by or administered by state and local governments. So at the end of the day, the rich just get richer while you wait in longer lines at the DMV or in the ER of a public hospital. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah.